Bible today. Let's open up to Job chapter 22. As we continue looking at this deep work that God does in the life of Job, and you guys know this, right, that that God doesn't do the deep work in the shores or shallows of our soul. So when you want God to do a deep work, I mean, you want to radically be changed, you know, then you're going to have to anticipate a lot of pain. And so, you know, that's one of the lessons in life, you know. A lot of times people, they walk around like zombies. I see it with my own. I can look at them. I can say, man, you know, not, no, nothing, no, no offense, but... Um, but, uh, <laughs> see, see what I'm talking about? Um, it's like uh, there's no spiritual hunger. There's no life. They're so entrenched in this world and what this world has to offer that they don't have that, that vitality that, that only comes when they completely give their heart to Christ. And so, you know, um, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I do pray that every person here would come to that place of absolute surrender. And uh, I think as we go through the trials and even learning the lessons we learn uh, through this book, that, man, we're going to have an opportunity to do just that. And so here in Job chapter 22, we begin reading in verse 1 as Eliphaz speaks again. It's the third time. It's his final time. And it says, then, then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, Can a man be profitable to God, though he who is wise may be profitable to himself? Is it any pleasure to the Almighty that you are righteous, or is it gain to him that you make your ways blameless? Now, again, we're, we're, this is a weird book in one sense because it's a conversation between Job and, and it's going to be four of his friends. Uh, the devil talks, you know, God talks, and it's definitely different. And so, you know, they're going back and forth. Job is defending himself, he, and he's speaking the truth because he had clean hands. He really was not perfect, but he was right on. And so as he's suffering and he's sick, his friends assumed that he was in sin, but that wasn't the case. And so Job is just saying, you know what, as far as I know, I'm checking my heart, I'm actually right with God. So you guys are wrong in what you're saying. And so they're trying to convince him that he's wrong. And now Eliphaz speaks, questioning Job's claim to righteousness. And, and in one sense, if you notice right there, he misses the mark by saying it's meaningless. Look again in verse 2. Can a man be profitable to God, though he is wise, may be profitable to himself? I mean, does it make any difference to God? You can't help God in any way. You can't, you know, put a smile on his face. Verse 3, is it any pleasure to the Almighty that you are righteous? Let me ask you guys that question. When you live a life of righteousness, when you get saved or when you get sanctified, when you get surrendered, when you stop doing those things that were chains on your soul, do you think that pleases God? Absolutely. Absolutely. You put a smile on God's face. I mean, the Bible says that when one sinner repents, there's a party in heaven. And so these guys right here, they're, they're kind of like, 
they're disconnected with God. They, they don't really know what's going on. I mean, it's true we have no wisdom or righteousness of our own that really adds anything to God, but you know, that imputed and imparted righteousness does mean something to God. God is blessed by the obedient. God is blessed by those who strive to be blameless. And if you're here today and if you're one of those who is saying, God, I want you to have every, every moment of my life every day, and I, I don't want to hang on to any compromise, man, that blesses God. It pleases Him. Uh, I like Psalm 147.11. It says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His mercy. And so, again, we're going to see these guys are off. Eliphaz mistakenly thought that that righteousness meant nothing, and he thought that Job had no righteousness Notice what we read next in verse 4. He says, is it because of your fear of him that he corrects you and enters into judgment with you? Is not your wickedness great and your iniquity without end? I mean, imagine there you are. Again, no, there's no one here that's perfect, right? Anyone here perfect? Okay, none of us are here we're perfect. You know, but, um, and although God's always working on us, that, that I know. There's always areas of our life that he's dealing with. I, I know that. But man, some of you here, you love the Lord. You love him. And, you're, and you're, you're, you're walking with him. You're seeking him. And he sees that. And he's blessed by that. And let's just say you're one of those who really are, you know, trying to be a right on Christian. Someone comes up to you and says, you're in sin. You're in sin. You better get on your face right now and repent, you know? And they started, like, getting all over you like that. I mean, that would be weird, huh? Well, that's exactly what these guys are doing. You know, there in verse 4, Eliphaz is being uh, sarcastic. He says, is it because you are fear of him that he corrects you? You know, like, he sees Job as being corrected. Is it because you fear him? He did not believe Job feared God, and that's why Job was being corrected and judged, right? So he didn't believe Job feared God. Let me ask you another question. Did Job fear God? He did. I mean, the Bible says that. We read it over and over again, even from the lips of the Lord in Job 1.1, Job 1.8, Job 2.3. God said, he fears me. Do you fear God? It's a great attribute. It's the beginning of wisdom. Today I heard uh, this thing my wife told me to hear. I encourage you ladies to Listen to a study, it was by Alistair Begg, it's on Family Life Today, it's for you young ladies, what to look for in a man, what to look for in a husband one day, and this is what was on the list, a man who fears God, a man who fears God, huh, Job did, you know, this guy said he didn't, God said he did, I believe God, not Eliphaz, right? And so in verse 5, Eliphaz says that Job's wickedness was great. The NLT translates, your iniquity is without end. And I'm going to share with you guys uh, this story, and hopefully um, you, know, you don't tell anybody, but I remember when I was a young teenager, I remember at home, uh, one day uh, my, my aunt comes in, because by that time I was already living with my Aunt Mary, and, uh, and sh what had happened was down the street, we lived on this little street in West Covina at that time, there was a, a crib that someone had left out in the front yard. 
And I, I think it was just a temporary thing. I don't think it was supposed to be there permanently because I don't think anyone would let their kids sleep in a crib out in the front yard, right? And so anyways, the crib is out there in the front yard, and somehow, I don't know what happened, but somebody had destroyed it. They said that they just, just broke it all down and left it there in the front yard. And so one day, my Aunt Mary comes into my room, and, uh, and she says, uh, I found out what you did. You know, you think you can get away with this? I, I, you know, I, what, 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 was, what were you thinking? You know, and I'm just like, what, what's up? What are you talking about? And she said, I know what you did. Don't deny it. And I said, honestly, I didn't. And back then I used to say, I swear to God. I mean, I used to say that, like, please believe me. But she didn't believe me. And this is the only time, this is the only time that she ever physically dealt with me. And she got my hair. Back then I had hair and she just, man. And this, you know, a couple of slaps slapped me around here and there for something that I did not do. And, and in one sense, that's what they're doing to Job, huh? I mean, they are verbally abusing him based on their assumptions, on their speculations, on their bad theology. And, and God is seeing all this, and it's just crazy. You see, Job was accused, and I would say abused verbally. You can really hurt somebody with the words that you say. Be very careful. Our words should be used to build people up, not beat them down. He was being accused. He was being abused. The enemy had a bet with God that if God would let down the hedge of protection, that you know, Job would curse God to his face. And so, you know, in, in one sense, when you're, if you think about it, uh, imagine your husband, you know, you lost all your kids, you lost all your wealth, you know, uh, 7,000 sheep, I mean, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. I mean, you lost all the servants, all your wealth, all your health, covered, the husband, your husband's covered in painful boils from the top of his head. I mean, everywhere in his whole body, perpetual pain. You're the wife. What does she say? Curse God and die. Think about that. Where's the bet? What's the bet? The bet is that he'll curse God. What does the wife say? Curse God. Who's telling the wife to say that? The devil. Now, no offense, wives, okay? Don't think that you know, I'm saying anything bad about you because uh, most of the time he speaks through the husband, huh? You know. But I'm just saying, that's what's going on right here. And I shared that verse with you back in chapter 4 and verse 15 and 16 of Job. That, that verse, it says, then a spirit passed before my face. This is Eliphaz speaking. Eliphaz, the same guy that's talking here. This is what he said. Then a spirit passed before my face. The hair on my body stood up. It stood still. So imagine you're there and there's a spirit there passing before you. It stands still. I mean, you got the hair standing up on your body. He said, but I could not really discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was something, but I couldn't understand what it was. And there was silence. And then I heard a voice. Eliphaz is saying this. Then I heard a voice saying, and he goes on to talk all this stuff that he's talking. What I'm saying, this wasn't a demon. This, wasn't, this was Satan himself speaking through Job's friends. That's the battle 
that we're talking about. This is serious stuff. This is a big time battle. And, and you know, you guys, we're, we're in a battle as well. You know, um, most of you here probably saved. You've already given your life to the Lord. But if not, then if you haven't really, truly, completely given your life to Christ, then you are under the control of, of the devil. Jesus told the Pharisees, you're of your father, the devil. He's a liar. He's a murderer. And if you die in your sins, you're going to go with him. I mean, this is a big battle. This is serious stuff. A lot of people almost at midweek service go to church. It's not really that big of a deal. I mean, we're talking heaven and hell here. It's a serious battle. If you're not a Christian, I pray that tonight would be the night that you give your life to Christ. He loves you. He died for you on a cross. And maybe it's time for you to stop playing church. Stop playing games. You got one foot in, one foot out. And that's not going to get you to heaven. I want to encourage you in that. Not trying to beat you up, trying to lift you up, trying to encourage you that God has plans for your life, that he wants to use your life. This is serious stuff here. And, and if you are a Christian, there's still a battle going on because I'm sure the enemy would love to paralyze you and you know, you get put on the shelf because you're not consecrated. You're not praying like you should. You're not in the word like you should. You don't even really want to be here tonight, but you're here by obligation. I mean, for us, even as Christians, it's a battle, huh? And someone might say, well, wait a minute, Manny, time out. I thought God defeated the devil. He did. He did. But, you know, he still barks, and it's still a battle, Right? Um, it's kind of like Adrian Rogers was saying, I heard this illustration, he said, it's kind of like a, a snake with its head cut off. Did you guys know that that head can still bite? Did you guys know that? I read a story about this guy right here, he was a chef, and uh, I guess what happened was uh, he was making cobra soup. That sounds good, huh? <laughs> cobra soup, imagine that. And so he cut off the head, you know, he's preparing everything. 20 minutes later, he goes to get the head, put it in the soup, and it bites him. And I guess what ends up happening, what we find is that they still have those reflexes. They still have that in them. As a matter of fact, you can be bitten by a snake hours after its, its head has been cut off. And so, you know, be careful with snakes. <laughs> but, you know... The devil has been defeated, but do you, doesn't he still bite? He does. So we have to be careful. This is a serious battle that we're in. And so what ends up happening, these accusations, they, they turn into assumptions. Look at, at verse 6. He says to Job, For you have taken pledges from your brother for no reason and stripped the naked of their clothing you have not given the weary water to drink, and you have withheld bread from the hungry. But the mighty man possessed the land, and the honorable man dwelt in it. You have sent widows away empty, and the strength of the fatherless was crushed. Therefore, snares are all around you, Job, and sudden fear troubles you, or darkness, so that you cannot see. An abundance of water covers you. 
I mean, what you see right here is a lot of assumptions. In verse 6, Eliphaz accuses Job of taking pledges, which is kind of like collateral, you know, kind of like that. I mean, I remember growing up going to pawn shops. Any of you guys go to pawn shops? Those are cool, huh? Come on. <laughs> you know, I, I remember, man, you know, you would go and you would leave, you know, whatever, your radio, your different things, and you would get money for it. It's kind of like a collateral. It's a pledge. It's called security. And, uh, and so what we find right here is, is Eliphaz accuses Job of taking those and keeping those, something God frowns upon in his heart. If you read Exodus 22, 26, and 27, it says, If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What will you sleep in? And it will be that when he cries out to me, listen, I will hear because I'm gracious. And so you take someone's cloak, it's like their blanket. That's the way it is in the Middle East. And so he says at night, give it back because it gets cold. You know, Aliphaz accuses Job of being calloused and cold with the poor. And so he comes up with these false accusations that he'd taken their clothes, he'd deprived the weary of water, and he'd not given the hungry even bread. Uh, notice again in verse 8, though, it's interesting but the mighty man possessed the land, and the honorable man dwelt in it. And it's interesting because we believe that there he's speaking in the third person, that what he's doing is making a general statement about rich people, that all rich people do things like that. And there are a lot of bad, greedy, rich people out there who would not give help to a widow or water or bread to the hungry or thirsty, or they would, you know, take the, the shirt off your back. There are many rich people out there who are greedy like that, but not all of them are. And so what their line of reasoning was, well, Job's rich, so he's got to be like this. And I'm sure because when you put two and two together, now that he's sick and he's suffering, he must be in sin. And I'll bet you it's stuff like this. You're sick, you're suffering, you're in sin. You're a rich man of might, then you can't be right. You know, in verse 9, he says, Job sent widows away empty, that he didn't care, and therefore he crushed the orphan. He says, that's why you're suffering, and these snares surround you, he says in verse 10. And then in verse 11, he mentions dark waters that keep Job from seeing as part of his punishment. Now, now here's the thing. When you, when you go through the dark times of life, and, I, and I've talked to a lot of people that have lost a loved one, it takes years, you know, to, to kind of go through that and kind of come out, you know, victoriously. There's always a scar. You know, you never get over it. But, you know, that's one of those dark days. Or it could be... Uh, you know, just some type of physical calamity. Sometimes people get cancer, and then next thing you know, they're fighting it for years. It can be hard. I mean, there's so many things where people, they feel alone. One of the, the most common things nowadays is depression. They don't even understand why. Don't understand why they have these anxieties. And it's like, you know, just a darkness where they can't even go out of their house. I mean, different things like that. And so when you're in stuff like that or just a season of struggles with you know, your spouse or your children or just financial hardships, when you're there, a lot of times 
it's like Job, you're being tested, and it's almost like, it's like you, you feel like you can't see anything. I mean, it just, like, it just seems like nothing is really adding up, and that you, you feel that way as a Christian. And I've talked to a lot of Christians, too, who, who don't, don't feel it, you know? You know how it is as Christians? We like to feel it, huh? You guys like, like the goosebumps, all that kind of stuff, and, you know, whatever the, I don't know, that stuff, and, you know, you're feeling it, right? And you're like, okay, I'm, I must be right on with God, but then what happens when those feelings fade? Then you have to walk by nothing but faith, right? I mean, just faith, right? And so when you're there, that's where Job was. He was in a place where it just he couldn't see, you know, in front of him. And so Eliphaz says, it's because you're bad. But Job was saying, no, it's probably not that. That's not why. We're going to see later he talks more about this. But the Bible mentions exactly what he said. You know, Job here admits he can't see, but here's the thing. The building and blinding waters are frequently symbolic of the opposition of the enemy, and that's what Job was experiencing. But it wasn't punishment. It was actually a spiritual battle, and by the grace and goodness of God, Job would prevail. If you're, you know, you know your Bible, maybe turn over to Psalm 124. It's just the, the next book over. And we could probably read the whole, the whole psalm, but we won't. Don't worry, it's a short one, okay? Notice this, the song of ascents of David. They would sing this as they would ascend up to Jerusalem. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now, now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. I mean, and when you think of them swallowing them alive, I mean, their history. There's no more Israel. There's no more you. If it had not been for the Lord who was on your side, you would have been consumed, right? They would have swallowed us alive when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. I mean, most of us have probably never been in a situation like that. I mean, the closest thing I can think of is when I was catapulted out of the raft when we went whitewater rafting, and I was under the water. And you know, you've seen it in the movies. That's what happened to me, man. <laughs> so I went down, and you know, I, I'm like, man, rolling in a washing machine down there, you know. And they say that the dangerous thing is your head hitting a rock or whatever, your feet getting caught in the trees that are down underneath the water, you know. But imagine someone just out there. That that's what he's describing here, and and what what he's saying is that you know what, even there you can't see. You got to know, look what it says at the end of that Psalm 124, verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The one that made heaven and earth is on your side. He is your helper. So even though you can't see, you think you're going to be okay? All of you will. 
all of you will. Because if God is for us, who can be against us, right? And so Job couldn't see, but he wasn't in sin. He was just in deep waters. I, I said in the beginning that God can't do a deep work in the shores or shallows of our soul. And so when we're really sick or when it's time to really grow, when there's something really wrong that needs to change, I'm going to tell you this, then God's going to go deep. And when God goes deep, it will hurt. But that's okay, huh? Because he's doing a work. Back in Job 22, notice in verse 12, Eliphaz continues, is not God in the heights of heaven and see the highest stars, how lofty they are? And you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Now, Eliphaz is under the impression that Job's be Job believes that God can't see his situation. But that's not true. Job never said that. As a matter of fact, we're going to read in the next chapter that, that Job you know, does cry that he can't see, but Job knows that God can see him. Again, you know, if you're going to rebuke someone, this is all I'm going to say. Get your facts straight, okay? And a lot of it has to do with when you're going and minister to someone, really listen to them. What I've learned in counseling sessions is to take notes. I actually take notes. I type things out on my computer, and then you kind of learn, right? They were not taking notes. Um, Job never said God couldn't see him. In, in verse 15, though, this Eliphaz, he says, Will you keep to the old way which wicked men have trod, who were cut down before their time, whose foundations were swept away by a flood? They said to God, Depart from us. What can the Almighty do to them? Yet he filled their houses with good things. Eliphaz says, But the counsel of the wicked is far from me. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read verses 15 through 18, I can't help but think of the way Jesus closed the Sermon on the Mount. And here's the thing, as you're going through this book, as you're going through poetry, okay, Hebrew poetry, you know, some of the things that Job's friends were saying to him were general truths that were true, but as I mentioned before, the problem was, and it was an epic problem, it was actually an evil problem, that these general truths did not apply to them, right? So, so what he says right here, if you think about it, it's something to think about, huh? I mean, verse 15, we keep to the old way which wicked men have trod who were cut down before their time, whose foundations were swept away by a flood. I mean, he's kind of saying right here that when a man's wicked, sometimes he dies young. And, you know, that's true sometimes. Not always, but it's true. I've seen men die young. You know, whether maybe they were having an affair on their wife and they didn't want to change. And God just said, okay, I'm going to make an example of you. And you will die. Um, other guys, maybe getting violent. You know, hanging with the wrong crowd. So there's that, that general truth. When I see this right here, it really reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to turn there to Matthew chapter 7. And you know, 5, 6, and 7 in my Bible, they're all words of red. I mean, it's just one of the most 
amazing sermons, probably the greatest that Jesus ever preached, and it's just so beautiful, telling them how to live a life uh, as a believer. But at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 24, he says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. I mean, that reminds me of what we read in Job. You know, you got this guy, he's building a house. When I think of it, it's a man who's building a family. And he hears the things of the Lord, he hears it, and, and one guy does it, and the other guy doesn't. So, you know, they're going through life, and they're cool. Who knows, maybe they, they both go to church. But one is living the life, and the other's not. So one day... The storm comes, and when the storm comes, one house stands, and another house falls. And you're like, well, I don't get it. They both heard, right? They were both building. It looked good, but something you didn't see, that the foundation was not right. And when it fell, great was its fall. The other day I was reading a book, a missionary book, really, really good book. It's called Serving as Senders. And I was just, uh, I was blown away. As I'm reading towards the last chapter, I mean, these guys were talking about how their parents were these amazing missionaries, amazing missionaries, years on the mission field. And their son grows up, and he becomes a missionary, and it just looks so good. Until one day, dad walks in, and he says, your mother and I are getting a divorce. And you're like, what? I mean, you guys, you mean you, you, it was church, it was, you were missionaries, it was decades. But underneath, it wasn't right. And so back in Job, look at that verse again. Look what he says. Verse 15, will you keep to the old way? That's the question. Which wicked men have trod who were cut down before their time, whose foundations were swept away by a flood. They didn't want anything to do with God, it says in verse 17, right? Even though he blessed them, he took care of them. It says in verse 18, but they really didn't want him. And so here's the thing, it doesn't apply to Job, but maybe it applies to someone here. And my prayer is that if you're living a, 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 a dual life, that you would take this to heart. Because when that time of testing comes, you don't want to be one of those who is swept away. You know, what we see in looking at these things is that, you know, Eliphaz, uh, he's saying, I'm not, you know, going to, it says there in verse 19, the counsel of the wicked is far from me. 
But in verse 19, he says, The righteous see it and are glad, and the innocent laugh at them. Surely our adversaries are cut down, and the fire consumes their, their remnant. I mean, he's just, so, he's just weird, huh? You know, he sees someone get messed up, foundations fall, he's glad, he laughs. That's not right. Right, verse 20 is a, a deep dig at the very heart of Job. Look again at verse 20. Surely our adversaries are, are cut down and the fire consumes their remnant. Their remnant. That's their kids. All 10 of Job's kids died. So what this guy is saying is, yeah, yeah, you got it. You got what you deserve because you're bad, you're wicked. I mean, it's a crazy thing when people... They look down on everybody else. You know, be so careful and stuff like that. In verse 21, he gives him counsel, and it's actually good counsel for those who need it. Verse 21, acquaint yourself with him and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. Receive, please, instruction from his mouth and lay up his words where? In your heart. Here's the thing, it's so beautiful. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. Isn't that cool? Maybe there's someone here who needs to return. Or maybe one day you can give that verse to somebody. Such a beautiful verse. If you return to the Lord, he'll build you up. He'll make you strong. God will never turn someone away who returns to him, right? I mean, it's such a cool verse. You will remove iniquity far from your tents. That's your home. And then you will lay your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks. Yes, the Almighty will be your gold. Isn't that cool? And your precious silver. For then you will have your delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to Him and, and He will hear you and you will follow through with your word. You'll pay your vows. You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. So light will shine in your ways when they cast you down and you, and, and you say, exaltation will come. Then he will save the humble person. He will even deliver one who is not innocent. Yes, he will be delivered by the purity of your hands. I mean, again, it's actually good counsel to anyone who is not right tonight. You know, when in my Bible, I have all this highlighted. This is a beautiful section of scripture, right? Come, what's he saying? Draw near to God. Make peace with God. Open your heart. Receive his word. Take it to heart, right? I mean, I love what we read in verse 23. Look again, it says, if you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. You will remove iniquity far from your tents. He goes on to say that money won't matter as much anymore. The gold of Ophir that he speaks about was a, a really good gold. And, uh, you know, when we read about this gold, it was uh, valuable, imported in the days of Solomon for the construction of the temple. We read that in 1 Chronicles 29, 3 and 4. According to 1 Kings 9, 27 through 28, they had to sail to get it. And many believe that Ophir was on the southwestern coast of the Arabian Peninsula. And so basically all that to say, this was a, a very valuable gold but he says there that, you know what, when you come to this place, when you're in right relationship with God, you know, all the, the gold or the money or the things that money can buy, 
that get in the way of oftentimes of someone's relationship with God. It won't anymore. I'm going to take that gold and they're going to put it down like in the dirt. They'll throw it in the bottom of the brook. You guys, you know how you throw rocks in the, you guys ever do that? You know, you throw rocks in the stream or maybe to skip or whatever. I mean, because it's just a rock. It's not valuable. But a lot of times what ends up happening is those, the, you know, the things of money and the things that money can buy, they get in the way of God. And he's saying that when you return to the Almighty, these are the things that he does. He, he says in verse 25 that God is your gold, that he's all you need, that he's all you want, that he's the most valuable possession to you. In verse 27, he talks about answered prayers, you know, and again, not to condemn anybody, but have your prayers been answered? You know, in one sense, they, they, we should be seeing a whole list, a whole slew of, of answered prayers, right? When we're in right relationship with God. And verse 28 is interesting. It talks about a God confidence. Look again in verse 28. You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you so light will shine on your ways. Verse 29, when they cast you down and you say, exaltation will come. And you're like, what's he talking about? You know, what, what he's basically saying is that you're, you're going to come to that place in your life so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that you'll have a firm faith and you will speak. You will actually speak victory. You will stand on it. Because a lot of times we don't. You know, verse 29 talks about somebody trying to put you down or cast you down, and, and you know what? You're, you, maybe you're, you're there, and you're like, okay, I guess I'm a bad person. Okay, I guess I'm, I'm really never going to be used by God, and, 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 you know, I guess I'm defeated. I guess my life's over. Some people kind of take that. He's saying, no, when you're right with God, and the devil comes and he says, your life's over, you know what you say? You say, no, it's not. No, it's not. I'm good. I'm good. God's on the throne. God's working in my life. And you speak it. You speak it. That's what he's saying right there. When they cast you down, you say it. No, God's going to raise me up. God's going to do a work. I mean, this is somebody who's in right relationship with God, right? He's going to take care of me. I have no doubt about it. And even if you've blown it, which we all have, you're not innocent, he says there in verse 30, God will deliver you when there's, I, I think the purity has to do with sincerity. So what we find is Eliphaz is trying to set Job straight to get Job back on track, even though he didn't need to be set straight or to get back on track. But again, maybe, you know, as I read it or as you read it here tonight, the Lord's speaking to us. And so if you need to get right, get right. Return to the Lord today. All it is is a step of faith. You know, you say in your heart, God, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I surrender everything to you. And you watch what God does. You know, Job responds to this in, in chapter 23. Job answered and he said, Even today my complaint is bitter. My hand is listless because of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in his great power? No. But he would take note of me. 
There the upright could reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. And, and for those of you guys that have been coming on Thursday nights, you know, I'm so proud of you, man. I, I probably owe you an In-N-Out gift certificate or something, man. You know, but if you've been coming every Thursday night, you're going to get a PhD in the book of Job, man. Because we, we're going over things, and some of it's repeated, but you know what? It's going to sink in. And one day, when that trial hits you like a train, you're going to be okay. Because you planted this word in your heart. You know, one of the things we've seen many times in the book of Job is that he just wants his day in court. You know, none of it made sense to him. He doesn't understand how everything happened so suddenly. I mean, you think about it. Here's a guy who's just spot on. And in one day, all his kids die, all his wealth is taken away, and then in one other day, he loses all his health. You have to admit, that's kind of weird, huh? That's weird. And so he doesn't understand. To such an extremity, he was committed to be holy, wholly devoted to the Lord, so he understand, understandably finds himself moaning and groaning, you know, because I want to talk to God. I want to say, what's up? Lord, talk to me. Verse uh, 3, the New England translation says, I wish to speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue my case with God. You know, and then when we're there, how many of you here would like to talk to God, just out of curiosity? Wouldn't that be cool? Kind of like, okay, Lord, you know what? What about this? What do I do? Can you, you know, whatever. This, I just want to hear it, right? But then it would ruin everything because then we would no longer walk by faith and faith is what's required for miracles to happen. So it's probably not going to happen, okay? But here's the thing, okay? You know, Job is saying we could talk and then he would explain everything and, and then I'd understand everything. Really? Do you think that if God told you all about your life and the trials that you're going through and how it's going to affect a gazillion people, you think you'd understand it? I'm sorry, you're not that smart. Some of you are smarter than others, but you're not. I mean, you know, and there's your two-month-old, your four-month-old, your six-month-old asking why you took her to the clinic and caused so much pain. You know, the shot she got, she doesn't understand. And so you start explaining things like diphtheria or tetanus or, or pertussis. And then, you know, a year later, your one-year-old, same thing happens. Uh, let me, okay, I'll tell you about it, sweetheart. Hepatitis A. And then your two-year-old, hepatitis B. And, you know, because we go through those immunizations, man, and you're like, why does it hurt so bad? You know, the, the thing about our trials is that there's so much more involved that we just could not understand all the things that God is doing if God articulated all the reasons and the depths of the purpose to our pain, we just would not get it. And so he wants God to talk to him and explain everything to him. And I, maybe there's some of you here tonight like, Lord, tell me why. I, you know, explain this to me. Here's the thing that we have to understand. We don't live on explanations. We live on promises. And, I, and we, we might not know why. Maybe when we're in heaven, we'll know why. I'm not sure how it all works. But, you know, I, I would encourage you to just, just trust him. Don't ask for your day in court, whatever you do. 
Because number one, you won't understand, and number two, you don't really want what you deserve. You want justice? Anybody here want justice? You'll be in big trouble, let me tell you. But I think we can identify with him, can't we? Look at verse 8. Job says, look, I go forward, but he's not there. Backward, but I can't perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I, I can't behold him. When he turns to the right, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You know, Job says, I, I, I can't see him, but I know he sees me. That's what he says. Any of you here ever seen God with your physical eyes? No. Let me ask, does he see you? Absolutely, he never takes his eye off you. You're, you know, the Bible says that you're the apple of his eye. And what that means is that if you were looking to God's eye, you would see a reflection of yourself. And you're like, well, then why am I going through what I'm going through? It's because of what we're reading right here. You know, 1 Peter 1.8 reminds us that even though we've never seen Jesus, we love him. We can't see him, but he sees us, and he knows the way we take. Psalm 139 and verse 3, it says, You comprehend my path, and my, I like that, comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Job says, God knows my path. He knows where I'm going. It's a place and time of testing. That's where I'm at right now. Look again at verse 10. And, and, and when he has tested me, here's what's going on. I shall come forth as gold. So how many of you here, you're going through what you're going through, and you are thinking it's his fault. It's her fault. I'm going through all of this for them. Did you ever think that maybe you're going through it for you? That God is conforming you into his image? If you'll let him? I've seen a lot of people in church over many, many, many years go through many, many trials and never change. Wasted so many trials. But I have also seen other people grow tremendously through the hard times. Because it was during those hard times they fixed their eyes on the Lord. You know, God's not just work, interested in the work through us. He's much more interested in the work in us, right? I mean, you know, we read this about God testing us, and I'm going to go through this real quick. Um, maybe you can read later uh, Psalm 66, 8 through 12, or 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9, talking about the trials of Christians. Their faith gets tested and it comes forth as gold, right? But here's the thing, you know, the, the testing that we go through is, is the hard times 
and God turns up the heat. So they would put the gold in the crucible. They still do today. They put the gold in the crucible, and from, it, it takes 1,943 degrees Fahrenheit to melt it. Okay, so how many of you think that's hot? <laughs> my, my daughter was complaining today about, oh, it's so hot. I'm like, you need to go to Cambodia. That's what I told her, man. <laughs> You'll never say that again, but here's the thing, okay? You know, like, you know, you, 1,943 degrees, the gold begins to melt, and then they turn it up even higher, and then the dross rises to the surface, right? That's what happens when you're tested. You, it, we find out who you really are. Oh, woe is me. Oh, that's who you really are. That's who you really are. I've seen people go through trials and they're like, praise God. Glory to God. He is good. I mean, hey, you know, I remember one guy in the hospital room. Praise God. They said that I have. All I'm saying is that you find out who you really are, not by your actions, but by your reactions. Okay, so a, a trial, number one, it reveals. Number two, it's an opportunity to refine. So when they heat up the gold and the dross rises to the surface and all your impurities are exposed, now's the opportunity to repent. Now's the opportunity to skim it off the surface. Now's the opportunity to swallow the pride. Now's the opportunity to learn how to pray to, with your wife. Now's the opportunity and you fill in the blank, whatever it is that God has for you. So testing is revealing, number two, testing is refining if you let it. But then the third thing that we see about testing, uh, number one is impurities will rise. Number two, will I skim it off? And then number three, will I pass the test? You guys remember taking tests in high school? College, did you like it? Depends. I had a friend that just helped me out, man. <laughs> No, I'm just messing with you. That's not a good example, but <laughs> I, I didn't worry about it, man. I just passed my paper back. But, but if you fail a test, what's going to happen? In school, you, you know, you got to take it again. Are you going to pass this test that you're in right now? It's weird, man, because um, it's like when some people go to, to the trials, a lot of times they wither away. You know, my encouragement to you is to, is to run to God. How do you know that you're passing the test? Well, what Job did right here, you know, what did he say? He said in chapter 23, my foot is held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. As a matter of fact, I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You know, when Abraham was tested, he offered up his idol, right? When Hezekiah was tested, the Bible says God withdrew him from him that he may test him to see what his heart was really like. We're going to go through that. And so my encouragement to you is, as you go through these things, continue to obey the word of God and treasure it more than the food you live on.
And so he says in verse 13, but he is unique and who can make him change? And whatever his soul desires, Job says, that he does. For he performs what is appointed for me and many such things are with him. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I consider this, I'm afraid of him. For God made my heart weak and the Almighty terrifies me because I was not cut off from the presence of darkness and he did not hide deep darkness from my face. And so, really quick in a nutshell, what is he saying? He's saying that God didn't spare me through the trial, that I went through it and I said, I'm here and I'm going through it. I got to tell you, I'm afraid. I am terrified. And, and, and that's okay in one sense, huh? I mean, in one sense, it's okay. You guys know that courage isn't the absence of fear. Every time I get up here, I'm afraid. Every single time I get up here, I'm like, Lord, what am I going to say? Some of you are probably wondering the same thing, you know? <laughs> I just do it. I just do it because I know God's called me to do it. He's called you to be obedient. He's called you to live life. He's called you to go to church in a faithful, consistent manner. He's called you to be in the Word, be in prayer. You just keep doing what you know you're supposed to do, even though you're afraid. And you watch how, how God will meet you there. And I wore this T-shirt today. Even though the sleeves are a little short, I was thinking, Lord, they're probably going to think I want to show my muscles, you know? And <laughs> so I try not to. But you know, it's because it has it represents Nadine, and uh, and when I think of her facing all the things that she's facing, you know, the trials. Uh, this is what she has on the back of the T-shirt. It says, "Good or bad, it all happens for a reason." She said, "Trust this season, trust the process, and trust in the Lord and His timing. He will make a way and work on your behalf." And and part of the reason that those words carry so much weight is because she's speaking it as she's fighting for her life. So if she can say that, can you say that? I pray that you will.